Happy Thanksgiving, Scots. Uh, and shout out to Ed students who are here. So, hi, guys. Oh, well, I paid for that. Thank you so much. Um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the fall, a few dedicated and brave souls meet with me at 8 o'clock a.m. for educational psychology. So in this class, we explore many aspects of human life and learning. One such theory we examine is Eric Erickson's lifespan model. And already you're thinking, this sounds like a class lecture. It's not. Erickson's model is a fascinating account of the complexities of the created order and how we as human beings either unfold or unravel in our experiences in that. Erickson says this, uh, we go through various ages and stages from cradle to grave that bring us to various challenges. And he calls those challenges the necessary crises of being human. Um, the idea here is that things come along in our lives that confront us in a social-emotional way or a cognitive way, and growth happens when we meet and overcome that challenge. So, for example, the infant, uh, their necessary crises is the idea of who's going to take care of me? Who will feed me? Who will change my diaper? Who will love me? Who will bathe me? Uh, for you, my dear friends, uh, he would say that the question is the big one. Who am I? Why am I here? And why do I exist? Uh, for some of you, and maybe for many of you, this, these years help you come to the point where you figure things out about yourself. Do I follow what my parents have taught me, or do I make my faith my own? Do I figure out my vocation and life choices, and how do I mature as a person? Listen to this. For my age, the white-haired guy standing up here, he says that the, ch the challenges for people like me, and, oh, and Barbara for you too, uh, integrity versus despair. Okay, well that sounds pretty exciting. So he would say that this age and stage where I am is one of reflection. We slow down. We are less productive. Oh, ouch, my back. Uh, we spend time reviewing the things that have happened in the past and we reflect on how we've done. Uh, success, for somebody like me, is the belief that we have challenged ourselves and achieved some goals and found happiness. And we embody the sense of integrity, uh, the sense of coherence and wholeness. We call that shalom, don't we? Uh, we feel like we've achieved a lot and we're ready to meet our end with a sense of peace. Success leads to the virtue of wisdom, the idea of being completed. Okay, that sounds like rocking chair talk to me on a porch. Uh, that sounds like walking with a cane and saying, my best years are behind me. You know what? In this sense, Erickson fences me in in ways that make me really uncomfortable as I grow older. And I hate fences. You know, just when the good part of a hike 
or a walk comes along, you see this sign that says, do not trespass, don't go any further. And then adding insult to injury, there's usually a barbed wire fence piece to back up that sentiment. You know what? I see fences as a barrier to get where I want to go. So if you talk to my lovely wife, Barbara, uh, and ask her the number of times I have raised her ire when climbing boundary fences to gaze in a more intimate way over the Grand Canyon, or to climb over the fence to crawl down to the 700-foot cliffs of Mower to look down to see the Atlantic Ocean crashing against the rocks. Because why in the world would you go all of that way just to look at these things from behind a fence? So a fence tells me, you shall not pass! My response to that is, you want to bet? <laughs> so, no matter what, uh, there, there is a common grace insight here from Erickson for our spiritual lives. I believe God tests our faith. He gives us necessary crises in order for us to understand some important things. His tender mercies and our ability to learn to trust His faithfulness more and more. And so I see this cycle kind of emerging. Tests of faith bring the tender mercies of God to see us through to growth and greater trust in His faithfulness. I mean, really, all you have to do is look at James or 1 Peter or read the Acts of the Apostles to kind of test this out. In fact, the tender mercies of Christ are extended to us always. The problem is, is they often appear kind of hidden uh, during difficult or quizzical circumstances of life and learning. But for me, I guess in terms of thinking about this, why am I still a Christian? I wonder why I became a Christian at all. So I have to answer that question first. Um, I'm going to give you some signposts, because I believe that this idea of tests of faith bringing the tender mercies of God to see us through to growth and trust in His faithfulness is pretty important. And, and so I think if I'm going to talk about myself, I might as well talk about the bad parts. So signpost the first. Um, when I was 12 years old, I had an amazingly tremendous revelation. Here it is. I can do anything I want, and no one can stop me. Why are you laughing? It's true. I can do anything I want. My parents can't stop me. My teachers can't stop me. I can do anything I want. I spent seven years of my life testing that hypothesis successfully. Uh, a drug-induced haze, in and out of trouble with the law, hopping trains to get from here to there, parents locking my doors, doors break, parents locking the windows, windows break. I mean, if you want to leave, you leave. Um, however, that's not the end of the story, or I guess I wouldn't be standing here. God stepped in and disrupted this destructive narrative of my life story. The signpost here is the faithful prayers of a godly mother who never gave up on me. And so while I continually tested 
thought, failed the test of faith in my younger years. My mother was my faithful advocate before the throne, and her intercessions were eventually met with my conversion. Signpost the second, uh, I taught in a small Christian school, first grade, so yay, first grade teachers. Um, it was a school in which uh, I had a lot of freedom to do a lot of things. Uh, I had two children in my classroom, Randy and Skye. Randy and Skye happened to be neighbors. Uh, Skye came to the school first and Randy came later. His family was not Christian, so we were an evangelistic Christian school. Uh, and they were interested in the reading program and the math program and the fact that there was this great first grade male math teacher, me. Uh, that was there. So they were there for the academics. Um, at some point in time in my first grade classroom, we started reading through the Gospel of John. And in order to do that, I would break it up into either half chapters or third chapters, and we would illustrate the content of the chapter by drawing pictures. So I would do some picture drawing, they would do some picture drawing, and the idea was for them to be able to visualize and narrate back what was going on in the stories about the life of Jesus. Randy did not last long in our school. Uh, his family thought that we were, me particularly, too religious. And so they pulled Randy out of the school in the midst of our study in the Gospel of John. But I began to notice something interesting about Skye. Um, Every time she would draw the picture, she would ask me for an extra piece of paper, and then during downtime, she would copy the picture that we had done in that piece of the Gospel of John for the day. And all I could think of is, well, we're making a booklet of the Gospel of John, so that's what our pictures are for. So we have my book of John that I've drawn pictures about, but I bet she's taking the other one home to put on the refrigerator, right? Wrong. During a conference, I found out from Skye's mother that what was going on is that Skye was secretly meeting at the fence with Randy when his parents didn't know. And she was pushing through the fence, the picture, every day of the piece of the Gospel of John that we were studying, and they would talk about it. Because what had happened, yes, hallelujah, because what had happened to Randy during the time he was in our school is he made a profession of faith. And there was Sky to meet his need and to bring him the gospel every day. Signpost the third. Same school, grade five. I'm not teaching. I'm now the principal of the school. There's a young man in our school by the name of Jeff Sisson. Some of you know this story. Uh, Jeff Sisson had a terrible disease that was probably going to kill him uh, when he was going to be a teenager, well, as he got older, a connective tissue disease. So if he sprained an ankle, it ballooned out like a watermelon. So anytime he got hurt, it was really dangerous. Well, one time I was in my office and all of a sudden I heard teachers screaming and yelling coming down the hall, and there was Jeff walking down the hall. He looked a little like Frankenstein, kind of wandering, and he was making these strange gagging noises. I caught him in my arms and laid him on the ground in the hallway. We called 911. They came very quickly. But that day he died in my arms. 
Jeff's mother was a believer. Jeff's dad was not a believer. So helping clean out his desk. And um, when I was cleaning out his desk on top, I found uh, amidst of all of his papers, a psalm that he had written because fifth grade was studying the psalms and the teacher had asked them to uh, write their own psalm to Jesus. And he'll just write on top. Uh, I asked his family if I could read that psalm uh, in the service. Um, our kids, fifth graders, I brought my guitar, we sang songs, we were part of the, of the ceremony. And I remember standing up weeping but reading that beautiful psalm that expressed this fifth grade boy's powerful, personal relationship with God in Christ. And I remember looking at Jeff's dad who was sitting on the front. He was weeping. He came up afterwards and he said, I don't know what it is that my son had, but I want that. So his dad, that day, bent the knee to the Savior because of the death of his son who was in the face of Jesus, who wrote this beautiful expression of his love for Jesus. This brought him to faith in Christ. What a signpost. Well, tests of faith bring the tender mercies of God to see us through to greater growth and trust in His faithfulness. So let me move quickly to the final signpost and maybe tie everything together. You know, Jesus is prone to saying audacious and kind of frightening things at times. In John 6, He feeds the 5,000, He walks on water, and He discloses some things about Himself being the bread of life that might be a little bit off-putting. So the signpost, the last, is John chapter 6, and here's what Jesus said. Um, to the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the followers that were there. He said, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Quick aside, John chapter 6 is where Randy, that little first grade boy, heard the gospel for the first time. The Holy Spirit applied the gospel to his heart because of John chapter 6. He and I were sitting on a grassy hill overlooking our playground And he asked me lots of questions about how can I have this Jesus? How can I know that he died for me? What does it mean for his blood to wash away my sins? So that day I talked to him and he accepted Christ. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on. We continue. After this, come on, talking about flesh and blood, bones and all. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus asked the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter, Simon Peter answered him and said, where will we go? 
you have the very words of eternal life. And we've believed, and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God, and there it is, Lord. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm not still a Christian because of what I do, but because of what Christ has done for me. And I forget that sometimes in the midst of being human and fallible. But there are occasionally things that pop out that remind me that Jesus loves me in a great and wonderful way. Everyone loves Samwise Gamgee, right? The true hero of the Lord of the Rings. Frodo had a companion that was stronger than any other companion who, beyond all hoping, knew that there was a higher power at work, even in the midst of the darkness of Mordor. So from the return of the king, this is classic. So this is Mordor. This is Sam. This is looking out. This is seeing. There peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tor, high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkling for a while, and the beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land, and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. This small note of the tender mercies of a personal Savior, that signpost in the dark night of the soul, a white star twinkling in the blackness of Mordor points the way. I have nowhere else to go for my salvation, no one to turn to for my real life and my significance. Oftentimes, I go to the Heidelberg Confession. What, Christian, is your only comfort in life and death? That I'm not my own belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He is fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. And He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair, well, okay, maybe lots of hair, can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Why am I still a Christian? Because Jesus loves me, this I know. A simple truth in a child's song, son at bedtime, snuggled in bed, having read some stories, had some water, and then getting that last hug and kiss from mom and dad before lights out in a room filled with love. Dear Scots, you are blessed, broken, and loved by your Savior beyond measure. Go do good, 
love your neighbor, be thankful, go with God. Thank you.